You are listening to a message by Pastor David Guzik for Enduring Word. For more information about our ministry, please visit EnduringWord.com. David Guzik here, very pleased that you could join me for this week's live Q&A. I'm here right now uh, at my home in Santa Barbara, as I suppose many of you are at home with all the travel restrictions and such that they put out for the present time. I guess right now we're reconsidering a lot of the things that we're thinking and doing in light of the coronavirus or uh, COVID-19, whatever people want to call it a scientific name, a more regional name, whatever. I'm just going to call it the coronavirus through this particular broadcast. Uh, I'm going to be here, of course, today on our weekly live chat, or at least weekly as often as it can make it. Um, And it looks like I'm going to be here more consistently over the next several weeks. I've had to cancel a lot of my travel, a lot of my outside appointments, and um, we're just going to stay close to home, as a lot of you guys are and uh, see what God does in the midst of this. Not filled with fear, not filled with a lot of apprehension, uh, even though there is a fair amount of uncertainty. But if you need certainty to be at peace, I wonder if your trust is really in God. Uh, Who knows what your trust is? Your trust is probably in your own ability to figure things out. If you need certainty to be at peace, it is a blessed place. To be able to say that uh, we don't really know exactly what's going on, but we do know that God is near. Now, what I wanted to do is talk in this very beginning uh, part of the question and answer before we take your own questions and comments and stuff that you put inside the uh, chat bar. We'll get to those in time. But people uh, have wanted to know. I've had a few questions come at me. They want to know, is this coronavirus, this COVID-19 Is this a sign of the end times? This is a question that people are interested in. Now, let let me try to put this whole thing in in a little bit of perspective. First of all, our present moment seems to us to be completely new and strange. After I got to say, I've never faced anything quite like this before. I understand that statistically speaking, at least in this point, there's similarities between Uh, This and what happened with the swine flu uh, back about 10 years ago or so. Uh, There's been other times when the flu or other infectious diseases have been greater or less, but I don't remember anything quite like this. And I suppose that most of you don't either. Um, As believers, though, I want you to understand that even though this feels like a very new situation to us, our present moment connects us both to the past and to the future. Let me say that again. Our present moment with this whole coronavirus event, crisis, whatever you want to call it, it connects us both to the past and to the future. Now, in the past, God's people have faced uncertain times of plague and pestilence. One example I can think of this is in Psalm 91. Now, uh, Psalm 91 um, is a unattributed psalm. We don't know exactly who uh, spoke. And if you want a full treatment of it, we've just put that video up on the YouTube channel this week. But let me just give you some thoughts from Psalm 91. In three places in that psalm, does it mention some kind of pestilence or plague, which could be taken to understand this kind of event that we're having with the coronavirus? For example, in Psalm 91, verse 3, this is what it says. 
Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. That's the first mention. Then in verses 5 and 6, you have a second mention. It says this, you shall not be afraid of the terror by night, now in verse 6, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness. That's the second mention. And then if you take a look at verses 9 and 10 of Psalm 91, you have the third mention. Here's what it says. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. So I'm just struck at the fact that uh, these things were common in biblical times. These things were people's experience. The, the psalmist could write such a thing, mentioning a plague or pestilence three times in Psalm 91, and none of his original hearers or listeners were saying, what are you talking about? Now, in our modern age, and at least in the part of the world that I live in, the Western world, I'm thinking North America, Europe, of course, other parts of the world as well, Australia, but in the general Western world that we call it, we generally live in such comfort and abundance that we often forget that most of humanity has had to often feel what we are feeling right now. Do you feel the uncertainty? Do you feel the caution? Do you maybe even feel the fear? Listen, God's people and humanity in general has had to feel that a lot more than we feel it in our modern age. Now, here's what you need to know. Okay, ready? God has been with his people all through the past in such times, and he will be with us through this. Now, Charles Spurgeon told the story in his great commentary on the Psalms, The Treasury of David. Uh, this is my edition of The Treasury of David. It's a great commentary on the book of Psalms. Charles Spurgeon shared that how in 1854, just about a year from the time that he came to London, that in the area around his church, it was stricken with cholera. Cholera is a bacterial infection that can lead to death. When it leads to death, it's usually through dehydration. Spurgeon remembered this, quote, Family after family summoned me to the bedside of the smitten, and almost every day I was hauled to visit the grave. I gave myself up with youthful energy to the visitation of the sick. I became weary in body and sick at heart. My friends seemed falling one by one, and I felt or fancied that I was sickening like those around me. A little more work and weeping would have laid me low among the rest. I felt that my burden was heavier than I could bear, and I was ready to sink under it. Could you get Spurgeon's attitude there? There he is busy as a young pastor. In London. He's, in his, he's about 20 years old at this time. He's in his young 20s. And he's giving all of his youthful energy and passion to visiting the sick conducting funerals, doing the best he can, and then he's getting weighed down by all the work of it, by all the weeping of it, by all the anxiety of it. Now, at this low point, Charles Spurgeon was returning from a funeral when he saw an unusual sign in a shoemaker's window on Dover Road. It wasn't an advertisement, but in bold handwriting was this from Psalm 91, verses 9 and 10. 
because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. That's what Spurgeon read on a sign put up in a shopkeeper's, a, a shoemaker's window. This is what Spurgeon said about this quote. The effect upon my heart was immediate. Faith appropriated the passage as her own. I felt secure, refreshed, clothed with immortality. I went on with my visitation of the dying in a calm and peaceful spirit. I felt no fear of evil, and I suffered no harm. The providence which moved the tradesman to place those verses in his window, I gratefully acknowledge, and in the remembrance of its marvelous power, I adore the Lord my God. That's what Charles Spurgeon recorded in his great commentary on the Psalms, the treasury of David. So this is what I'm just trying to say. God's faithfulness to his people in the past, when we have experienced such times like this in centuries past, this gives us rock-solid confidence in the future. You see, brothers and sisters, we recognize that we live in a fallen world and that plagues and pestilences are all part of that. We also recognize that the wonderful words of a passage like Psalm 91 verse 10 nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. Th these are not absolute promises for all times for all believers. Listen, it, it's true that there may be some believers who are afflicted by this and who graduate to glory. They go from earth to heaven because of this disease or a similar disease. Now, I don't have any doubt that the Holy Spirit spoke to the heart of Charles Spurgeon and said to him, this promise is for you. And it may be that the Holy Spirit would quicken that promise to an individual today. But it may also be that some believers die or are made seriously ill by this virus. But God will be true. He will deliver you from the perilous pestilence. That's in verse 3. You, you don't need to be afraid of the pestilence that walks in darkness. That's in verse 6 of Psalm 91. And even if affliction comes, God can take all the evil from it. Verse 10 of Psalm 91 says this, No evil shall befall you. Brothers and sisters, that whether in life or in death, God can glorify himself and his people, and he will glorify himself and his people. Hey, for us to live is Christ and to die is gain, and all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. All right, now that's, that's the past. What about the future? I, I said that these times connect us to both the past and the future. Well, in the future, we know that plague and pestilence will be part of the very end time scenes. Uh, Revelation chapter 9, verse 18, and chapter 11, verse 6, speak to us about a future role such terrible things may have in God's unfolding plan. Uh, we read in Revelation 9, 18, By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. Now, when it says plagues there in Revelation chapter 9, and in several other places in the book of Revelation, it may not mean plagues in the sense of disease, but it's just great afflictions that come upon the earth. 
which who knows, that could be us as well in this present time, in this present season, with great afflictions that we may face. But as well, I want you to understand uh, Revelation chapter 11, verse 6, it says this. It says, of the two witnesses, that they have the power to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. And again, plagues is used there in Revelation in the broader sense, not in the more narrow sense. But it could certainly include the kind of things we see, the disease that spreads the earth today. One other thing. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 7, that famines, earthquakes, and pestilences will be before the end. By the way, there's no mention there in Matthew chapter 24 of toilet paper shortages, but you got famines, earthquakes, and pestilences being before the end. And Jesus described these in Matthew 24, verse 8, as the beginning of sorrows. Now, don't miss this. Please pay attention. Right before mentioning those things in verse 7 of Matthew chapter 24, in the previous verse, verse 6, of course, Jesus said this, See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. I think what Jesus is saying is this, Don't look to any particular famine, any particular earthquake, any particular pestilence or plague, any particular crisis that comes up, don't look at any one particular thing like that to be an evidence of the end. I'll read you verse 6 again. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. People have always wanted to see the end of the world in a particular present crisis. And in general, Jesus pointed us away from these kind of crises, away from famines, earthquakes, and pestilences, at least in any individual sense. And he pointed us towards a sign that he called the abomination of desolation. That starts at verse 15 of Matthew chapter 24. Now, there's a lot that I could say about the abomination of desolation. Let's just put all that on hold right now and just say that that, that was the sign that Jesus pointed everything towards in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew chapter 24. At the same time, Jesus did describe these things, famines, earthquakes, pestilences, as the beginning of sorrows. That's in verse 8 of Matthew chapter 24. Literally, that phrase, beginning of sorrows, means labor pains as in the pains that a woman feels before she gives birth and leading up to birth. Now, you can say that the labor pains are not the birth, but they lead to it. And they grow more frequent and more intense as the actual time of birth approaches. And when these things come, we should take note. Right, so let, let me just get down and answer this. Is the coronavirus a sign of the end times? I'll give you the best answer. It is a sign of the end times for those who are wise. What do I mean by that? Well, well, we don't say that any particular plague or virus or uh, pestilence or earthquake or famine, no one particular thing is a sign of the end. 
We don't know the day or the hour, but we do know that Jesus is coming again and we need to be ready. In some way, we're grateful for anything that helps us to be more ready for the return of Jesus Christ. So we put our trust in him. We understand that the Bible shows us something beautiful and powerful about God's faithfulness in the past when it comes to plagues and pestilences. And the Bible also speaks about a future role such terrible things may have in God's unfolding plan. But for us, we live in the middle. We're not living in the past. We're not living in the future. We're living right now in the middle, in the present. And this present moment gives us a great opportunity to trust God and to give him glory. All right, let me give you one more story before I take the questions and comments in the live chat here. James Montgomery Boyce, in his commentary on Psalms, tells the story of a man named Lord Craven. Lord Craven was an English nobleman who lived in London during the Great Plague of 1665. And when I say Great Plague, I mean the Bubonic Plague. And when the Bubonic Plague came near, Lord Craven got ready to leave his London house and to go out to his home in the country. That's what a lot of people who could do it did. And as Lord Craven was ready to leave his house in London, he overheard one of his servants speaking to another servant on his staff. And the servant said this, I suppose that my Lord leaving London to avoid the plague means that his God lives in the country and not in the city. Now, it was an innocent remark. The servant really wasn't being critical. He was just explaining how the situation seemed to look to him. But that remark, when Lord Craven overheard one servant saying it to another, it so deeply affected him that he canceled his trip to the country home. And he said, my God lives everywhere and can preserve me in the town as well as in the country. And I will stay where I am. What did Lord Craven do? He stayed in London. He helped people the best he could, and he did not catch the disease himself. Brothers and sisters, I don't know. Who, who knows what the medical future of any individual is? But I'll tell you this. God wants us to go forward full of faith, trusting in his promises, not filled with fear, out of love for our neighbor. We're, we're going to do the things that our public health officials has asked us to do to not gather in groups of any size, to self-isolate ourselves, uh, social distancing, uh, all the rest of it. We're going to do all those things. I'll, we don't do them because we're filled with fear. We do them out of love for our neighbor. But we, we are confident in the Lord, and I hope you are too. All right, well, enough with that. I've spoken for almost 20 minutes on that subject at all. Let me start looking now at the live chat, and we can talk about some of these things come up. Adolfi says, God bless you, Pastor Guzik. God bless you as well. We live in the end times. Anyway. Well, that's right. We should always have the attitude that Jesus can come at any time. Uh, Susan says, we're truly blessed with more. Uh, yes, God turns good from everything. Ruth says, uh, the earth is the Lord's. You better believe it. That anybody who thinks that this whole situation has somehow caught God by surprise. You need to readjust your understanding of God, and you need to come 
to a more biblical understanding of who God is. None of this has caught God by surprise. The Lord reigns, and he's going to rule on high in and through this. Um, Dan says, God is in control. Amen. Pray that we can be strong and of one mind in Christ. Amen for that, Dan. Agnes says, what does it mean that in the days of Noah, so will it be in the last days? Does the end time consist of Noitic laws? Okay, Agnes, that passage that you're quoting to me is fascinating because I think that what it refers to is that when Jesus returns for his people, it's going to be to a world that's pretty much operating as usual. As Jesus gives the illustration, people were uh, marrying and giving in marriage and being married and eating and drinking. It was just a, a somewhat normal life. That, Jesus says, that's when I'm going to come for my people. So we should expect that um, we'll make it through this time. A sense of normalcy will return. And somewhere in the midst of all of that, uh, Jesus Christ is going to come for his people. Norma says, uh, amen. He does not change. He's the same God. Absolutely so. Um, Karen says, I'm having such fear. I have asthma. Uh, do you believe that the blood covenant can protect us or heal us? Karen, this is what you need to do. First of all, you need to be wise and do what the public health officials are telling you to do. Take care of yourself according to wisdom. Secondly, secondly, remember the promises of God and, and let your heart be at peace with them. Karen, I'm here to tell you, and, and everyone who listens to this, your security is not in statistics. I understand that as we look at statistics, well, a very small percentage of people get this and a very small percentage of people die and we're worried about the exponential growth. But at this point, listen, our security is not in statistics. Our security is in Jesus Christ. Karen, what you need to understand is that God is with us even unto the end of the age and the anxiety that we just uh, fail to bring before the Lord and allow to fester in us, it, it does our bodies more harm. No, the best you can. Karen, you, you just need to receive the Lord's comfort, be at peace, let him calm the storm in your heart, and God will help you along the way. Now, uh, we feel like I just want to do whatever we can to help people in this needful time. So we're, we're going to do a few things. First of all, I'm going to start releasing a morning devotion, just a short video, somewhere between uh, four and six minutes. I'm just going to start releasing a short video. Click on the notifications as well, too. I guess that's the little bell or whatever. Um, because we just want to do what we can do a little bit more to help encourage people. Karen, I, I hope that in this time that's kind of scary for you, and I understand because having asthma, that makes you more at risk from everything I've read and seen. But I hope you're letting people encourage you. You're letting people say, Karen, the, 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 the threat is real, but there's always been real threats out there. Let's take it to the Lord in prayer. Let's trust his promise to be with us unto the end of the age. And if God should so quicken a particular promise from his word, and when by quicken, I mean make alive, a particular promise from his word to you, then, then hold on to that in great faith and assurance in the Holy Spirit. So for our part, 
Uh, first of all, I'll be uh, releasing a daily devotional for the foreseeable future. Just a brief word of encouragement uh, for anybody who might be helped by it. Secondly, um, I'm going to try to add a second live session a week. Look, it's good for us to come together. People are having a hard time gathering together in their normal congregations and Bible study groups and midweek services and all the rest. So next Monday, coming up this Monday, uh, I'll be here again, 12 noon Pacific time. And the reason why I do it at 12 noon Pacific time is in particular, I like it to be available for our European listeners. And if I were to do it later in the day, uh, it gets kind of late for our brothers and sisters in Europe. So many of those two things that we're going to be doing here uh, just for the foreseeable future. Um, not scary comfort from links 28 and God has eternity in mind for those who look to him. Yes. Um, Karen says, I guess I have a huge fear of death. No, listen, Karen, let, let me just minister to you here. I want you to be able to make a distinction between dying and death. Now, I, it's very rare for someone to not have a fear of dying. We, we think, oh, a terrible accident, a painful illness, some tragedy that befalls. Okay, being afraid of dying is normal. But, but I want you to know something, Karen. I believe that Jesus Christ can set you free from a fear of death. Because if your trust is in Jesus, if you are born again by his spirit, because you have put your trust in the good news of Jesus Christ. You've heard that good news, that because of who Jesus is and what he did for us, especially what he did for us on the cross. Yes, what he did for us in his sinless life. Yes, what he gave to us in all of his teaching, but especially the fact that Jesus Christ died as your substitute for the righteous wrath of God that we all deserve. No, Jesus on the cross. He took the guilt of our sin. He took the punishment for our sin. He took the shame of our sin. He bore it all in himself. The Bible promises that if we will put our trust and love in Jesus Christ, who he is and think life. Karen, I, I'm supposing that's probably you, that most of the people would tune in to this video. That would be you. Let me just tell you, let me just assure you, you don't have to be afraid of death. Dying is another thing. Well, very few people would, would not have a fear of dying, but separate the two right now. Say, Lord, I, I don't look forward to the process of dying, but I don't fear death, Lord, because I know my life is in you. Now, if you don't have that, and I'm speaking to Karen or to anybody else, I, I think you need to seek God diligently. You, I'm not going to let go of you until you give me this assurance that I don't have to be afraid of death. Even though I don't look forward to dying, I, I know my life, my future, my eternity is in your hands. Karen, I pray that God would bring you to that place and would bring every person to that place. All right, continuing on, Matthew has a good word. He says, fear is normal, but trust in God should give you hope and peace. My wife has Crohn's. Her immune system is compromised. We're trusting in God. He is faithful. Yes. Yes. God's word and prayer. They seem to turn to portions of scripture and it makes it worse. What is the scripture that points to not 
chopping up God's word. Well, in Isaiah, it talks about understanding the word of God line upon line, uh, precept upon precept. What's interesting is in the context of Isaiah, when that's quoted, the original context is that that was a mocking thing presented to Isaiah, but Isaiah took it as a compliment. Um, Listen, we, we just need to understand that it's good to read the Bible as it was written. The Bible is not a collection of tweets or fortune cookies that are just assembled as individual verses. Now, the book of Proverbs is like that in a lot of it, but that's just one book in the Bible. Don't just read a verse or two from the Gospel of Matthew. Read the Gospel of Matthew. Don't just read a verse or two through the Gospel of John. Read the Gospel of John. Read the Bible. Let it nourish your soul. Let it give you peace. Um, Karen says, thanks, Matthew. Yes, let me come back here. Um, Ruth says, I'm greatly comforted by this Psalm in 139. Your eyes saw my unformed body. And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Yes, it's true, isn't it? If God saw us before we were ever formed, of course he sees us now. Of course he cares for us now. Um, God bless you, Winnie, for your encouraging words. Uh, Dave says, in the days of Noah, mankind was corrupt beyond human repair. That's true. The corruption of mankind was severe. But life was normal until the judgment of the rain and the flood came. I think that's the point that Jesus is getting at there in um, his words from the Gospel of Matthew. Ingrid says, God bless you, Pastor. I listened to your series, Earth, Heaven, and Hell. Enoch and Elijah were taken into heaven without dying. Were they in the bosom of Abraham too until Jesus' resurrection? Oh, Ingrid. That is a great question. The Bible tells us of two individuals who went to heaven without dying, Enoch and Elijah. Both of them were carried up bodily into heaven. And Ingrid is asking, well, since that happened before the cross, and since Jesus gave us something of the cosmology of what happened to the dead before his finished work on the cross, You'll have to listen to the series that Ingrid's referring to if you really want to get the idea behind this. What happened to Enoch and Elijah? And Ingrid, I am hope I'm not copping out here, but I'm just trying to be honest with you and with all of our viewers. I don't know. That is a great question. And I got to say, I will ask the Lord about when we get there, and maybe we'll meet up with Enoch or Elijah in heaven and have them tell us the story themselves. Ingrid, that is a great question. You're putting your finger on what is something very interesting that we wish the Bible told us more about, but in the present moment, it just doesn't. Karen, you're very welcome. Susan says, what would you say to prosperity gospel Christians asking people to plant a seed of faith by giving to their ministry? Right, well, let me just be very straightforward uh, to this. This crisis of the coronancial crisis, and in any kind of significant financial crisis, 
um, ministries, nonprofits are usually greatly affected. Donations usually really fall down. They, they really tail off during some kind of financial crisis. Now, let me just say, believers, as much as you are able to, you need to continue to support your a church, continue to support those honorable ministries through your tithes and offerings. If you are at all able to, continue to do it. They need it. It's a, such a time as this. Now, but it also means that there's going to be many ministries, maybe not so much churches, perhaps, more so ministries, like uh, Susan mentions prosperity gospel Christians. Out of fear, they're going to try to manipulate people into giving. And let me just say, uh, I think that's reprehensible. We should never use fear to try to manipulate people into giving to God's work. There's a place for stating needs. There's a place for inviting people to participate in ministry. We do those things with enduring word. But when you're trying to manipulate people into giving, especially because you have fear about what God's going to do, that's not right. And so much of this seed faith kind of thing, um, give to me and God will make you rich. That's from the pit. It doesn't belong among the people of God. It's appealing to the worst motives people might have for giving. No, we, we need to rise above that. Be generous. Listen, if you're a Christian, be generous to churches and ministries during a difficult economic season in front of us. But don't feel obliged to give at all when manipulation and pressure is starting to be put on you by others. Okay, uh, let me continue on. Uh, Broken People says, Lord's blessing, Pastor David. I lead worship as my church. As I lead, what should be my goal? Is it to get the people to sing? All right. Broken People, that is a great question, and I'm happy to answer it. The goal of a worship leader in congregational worship should be to bring the congregation into the worship of God primarily through song. Now, we do know that singing is not the only way that we can worship God. We have that square in our minds, do we not? But it is a significant way to worship God. And it's a way to worship God that the scriptures come back to again and again and again. And the musicianship is outstanding. But the people in the congregation, if none of them or very few of them are truly lifting up their hearts and their voices to God in worship, that is not a successful worship service. Here's the perception to have. God is the audience for worship. The congregation is the choir. They are the ones singing to God. The worship leaders are the ones helping the choir Sing for their audience, which is God. Now, we turn that around. Sometimes we think that the people are the audience, that the musicians are the performers, and God is the one who helps the performers perform for the audience. No, God is the audience. The people are the performers. They are the choir, and the worship leaders are the ones helping. I think Everything in a time of 
worship and song should be done towards the goal of bringing the congregation into the worship of God in and through song. And if there's other expressions of worship as well, scripture reading, prayers, confessions, and whatever it might be, well, that's great as well. But the worship team's up there to do it in song, and they need to have that goal of bringing the congregation into the worship of the Lord. Great question there, broken people. Uh, Ingrid says, I listen live from Ostend, Belgium. Blessings. Hey, Ingrid, I'm glad that you do. I've been to Ostend. Um, God bless you. I love that seaside place. Um, Andrea says, greetings from Hlövde, Sweden. Greetings to you back. Lucia says, I don't want to suffer, but I'm not afraid of death. Blessings from Spain. Yes, that's it. Listen, Ed, if there's any other way for me to avoid the suffering that I have to avoid on the cross, then let it be. But, but, um, death, we don't have to be afraid of. Um, Andrea says, has the great tribulation started? Andrea, I'll just answer that quickly. No, no, it has not started. Um, people may categorize this as labor pains, birth pains, things that come before, but the Great Tribulation has not started. Carol says it's three o'clock here in Indiana. Good time for me. Thank you for these sessions. Again, I want to tell Carol and everybody else, we're going to do this again on Monday, this coming Monday, again, 12 noon Pacific time, whatever time that is for you. Um, Adelphi says, hey, thanks for mentioning the substitutionary atonement of Jesus and ministering to Karen. Just watch Christ crucified and this biblical doctrine has been conveniently rejected. Well, we, the power of the truth of the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. But that's not why I preach it. I preach it because the Bible preaches it. I preach it because it's true. If I'm going to preach what the Bible preaches, I have to preach a substitutionary atonement. But uh, preaching it, you see how beautiful, how powerful, how wonderful it is. Um, thank you for your clarification, Dave. Yes. Um, hey, Haley, when do you think the rapture will occur? Well, TC, Haley, I got to say, we don't know. But the lesson for every one of us is simply this. Be ready. Be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. I don't care what else you're doing. Today, you need to be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. Um, Carlene says, just finished life group. Now listen to you, Pastor. God bless. Blessings to you, brother. Here's the last question here. Um, my pastor teaches that we are wretched. We deserve nothing in this life. It's just a place to listen to it for myself to make a judgment. And um, since I can't listen to, you know, everybody's pastor, we'll, we'll just leave aside. I'll just say this. Um, we have to be able to hold two things at the same time. One thing is an understanding of our wretchedness apart from Jesus Christ. But then the other thing we need to realize is our blessedness in Jesus Christ. We don't want to let go of either one. You, you can fall off on either side of the horse, erring by emphasizing one without the other or the other without the other. You know what I mean by that? Yes, in ourselves apart from Jesus Christ, we are wretched in Jesus we are loved and valued and precious. We're adopted into God's family. We are sons and daughters of the Most High King. We're kings and priests. We're going to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. 
So we need to be able to hold both things at the same time, having no trust in ourselves, but rejoicing in who we have been made, who we are, and what God is making us in Jesus Christ. Okay, even though there's been a few late questions added here, um, I, I'm going to end it here. We'll get to more things perhaps when we come up, but I just want to thank everybody for joining me today. Please keep an eye out for the daily short devotions that are going to start tomorrow, Friday. And um, again, that's be out on the YouTube channels, subscribers, notifications, all the rest of it. And uh, on Monday, I'm going to do that. I want to try to do this more often because we're kind of prevented from our normal gatherings as believers. Let's get together online a little bit more. God bless this wonderful community of people. I'm glad that you've joined us. Remember, praise for and who supports the work of Enduring Word. It is a great, great blessing. And I'm glad that God has given us this opportunity. God bless you. Love to you in Jesus Christ. And I'm very glad you could join me today. You've been listening to a message by Pastor David Guzik for Enduring Word. For more information about our ministry and how to grow in your relationship with Jesus, please visit EnduringWord.com.